0: This episode of The Happiness Question is brought to you by Jay Schiffman. Jay Schiffman is a public speaker, coach, and host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He interviews people with lived experiences on the topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. Each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined. I'm not even talking about the other causes of death related to substance misuse and mental health. Just those two. Those are our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat next to us at our favorite restaurants. They talk to us through our favorite podcasts. And these deaths are completely preventable. There are massive system changes that need to happen. But until we can have an honest conversation about these topics... These lives will continue to be lost. That's why Jay produces the Choose Your Struggle podcast. That's why he tells his story. As a guy in long-term recovery who survived two suicide attempts and an overdose, he recognizes his privilege. He's been given a second chance in a country and a world where most people don't even get their first. For him not to use it for something truly meaningful would be a waste of his second chance. That's why he gives up every day to work to end the stigma and ensure that those who need help get the help they deserve because we're in this together. Check out his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, by listening wherever you find podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Anchor. It's the great podcast creator and distributor that helps make the happiness question possible. They make it easy to distribute your podcast onto more than 10 platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, all without you lifting a finger. Even better, everything they offer is free. You can even get sponsorships for your podcast with no minimum listenership required, like I've got. If you're looking to start a podcast of your own, there's no better place than Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello and welcome to the happiness question. For the season two finale, we talked to JJ Wenrick, a stock and financial advisor, on why
1: money might actually be able to buy a little bit of happiness.
0: Tell me about yourself.
1: Okay, well, thanks for having me on here, Camden. I love what you're doing. I am 42 years old, I'm a father of four. Three of them are 12, 13, and 14, and then my stepson is 27. And I've been in the investment business since I got out of college, which was in the year 2000, so 20 years. But I've just been an investment geek my whole life and decided to go into it professionally because I liked it as a kid because I had a teacher that when I was growing up got me into it. And I've just seen uh, a lot of people make a lot of mistakes. I've seen a lot of people do a lot of things well. And as my kids started to grow up, as dads do, they tend to talk and talk and talk. And so I was talking to my kids and I talked about what I liked, which, you know, some dads that might be baseball or football, but for me it was stocks. So I talked to my kids about money and the markets and stuff. And over time, they, they learned more than I would have expected. And they started to say some things that were a little bit profound. And I thought, wow, they, they, they get it. And Nothing complicated, real simple stuff, but over time, I started to share that with work colleagues, and long story short, it turned into the book that I wrote, and between publishing that book and everything else, I've just decided it's my mission to help show people that money can't buy you happiness, but not having money can certainly give you a ticket to unhappiness, and we can't control the circumstances that we all are born into, but we can certainly control the circumstances that we make for ourselves in terms of how our habits, how we save, how we spend. And so who am I? I'm a dad that saw how his kids reacted to some lessons and decided, you know, let me see if we can reach some other kids with it.
0: So obviously on the show, we've never had someone like an investor before. Um, so, what inspired you to
1: apply for it? Yeah, you know, I've got to give credit to my lovely wife, Jody. She saw um, what you were doing and said, you know, this might be a little different angle from what you as a podcaster might be expecting, but, you know, she, my wife and I, we've, we've, we met as financial advisors and we've seen some good lessons, some good habits can really. Have a role in your happiness. And everybody says, you know, money can't buy happiness. And, and, you know, that's true, as I said before. But, you know, we all have habits that are ingrained in us. And if we can maybe think about those habits a little bit more consciously and think about how we talk to young people about those habits, it can really be life changing. It's part of the skill set you need to have as you're growing up and as you, as you become an adult.
0: So, what was the time that you overcame adversity?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's uh, the older you get, the, the more uh, adversity you'll face, and I've not had to face anything you know, catastrophic like some people have, and I'm very thankful for that. But we all over, overcome things, and it was actually a little bit of, of adversity that drove me to, to writing this book. And just to back up a little bit, I wrote a book. The book's called Teaching Kids to Buy Stocks, Stories and Lessons for Grown-Ups. And it's, the goal is to, to talk to parents or teachers or student leaders and just help them see that the, the stock market's not so complicated and that good habits can really make a big difference in, in your life. And so I've been in my career for a while and my career was working with other financial advisors. So I was working with professional investors and I just wasn't feeling contented and just didn't feel like I was making a difference. And just looking for an outlet for that frustration, I started to, to do a couple of things. One One thing that you might appreciate, I started to write some music. Terrible guitar player, but that doesn't prevent me from trying, and so I started to do a little bit of that, but the other thing I started to do is I started to write about my story and uh, what I'd done with my kids, because one of the things that gave me satisfaction in my job was hearing people tell me that the stories of what I did with my kids helped them with their kids, and these were other financial professionals, and so I took some of the energy some of my discontentment and put it towards this, this project, if you will and then you know just decided you know it wasn't catastrophic adversity but it was it was definitely a you know discontentment and it gave me an outlet for that and you know we're still you know we've only been doing this thing since february so it's very new but we've touched a lot of people and we've, it, it's been fun to see the relationships that we've already just you know started to build and that you know, it's helping parents talk to to their to their kids and so your question is about ad- adversity but that was, you know, that was definitely one of, one of the times, I'd say. Another one that I would wanna talk about to, to bring up, and this might, this might um, hit home a little bit with your audience, is my wife and I, we got married, I was about 22. And she's six years older than me. We had a young family, we'd had two of our three babies. We were both financial advisors together. We'd, we'd actually gotten out of that business and I was working professionally and she was staying home with the kids. And I felt like you know we we were living beyond our means when when we were financial advisors together we had one income level and then when she started to stay home and I decided to build a a career in the corporate world you know we weren't making as as uh, much as we were spending and so it was a struggle for us to come to terms together with kind of where we were at and decide what to do and you know we made a decision let's downsize massively we had a family at the time of three babies because they were born one you know one year after the other we had three three years in a row and then we had a teenager and we decided to move into a small it was technically a two bedroom condo but it had a big basement so we turned it into a, a three bedroom condo but it was very small and it was definitely a hit to our ego but it allowed us to connect together and we were I don't know if I've been as happy as I was in that tiny little condo with with all of us together because suddenly we weren't worried about money. We didn't live anywhere nice. In fact it was a little bit seedy. I mean it wasn't the, the best spot on the map, but we were so happy we made it our home and it was because we weren't worried about that one thing. And you don't realize how much something like that weighs on you. And it allowed us to start to save and rebuild ourselves financially. And that was as close as I've been to catastrophic adversity, and it was all financially related. And it really helped us focus what was important, which was each other. And it probably gave me the right mental frame of mind to do well in my career, which eventually got where we could afford to not live in a tiny condo, and led us to California. That, I'd say that, that'd be the, the one that sticks most in my mind of when I've had to overcome adversity. Yeah,
0: it's something that's really important and it affects a lot of people, And so that's really important that you are sharing that with people because people can really connect to that. And it's a great thing that you can help people overcome because you've done it yourself.
1: You, You know, the big barrier, I think, to a lot of us, that if you find yourself in that situation, it can be your ego. You know, you, and I think a lot of people's money problems may start with their ego. You know, you, you look at what you spend your money on. If it's I'm not judging, judgment-free zone, judgment-free zone. But I was worried about moving into, you know, out of a house with a family. And what would I look like to other people? And what, you know, people are to look, he doesn't, he's not successful. He's failing if he's doing this. And overcoming that insecurity in myself is what allowed me to, uh, to make that move. And it was life-changing. Fast forward to when I was discontented in my career, you know, over a decade later, having been able to save the money that I did when we downsized gave me the flexibility to say, you know what, where I'm at in this job and this career is not right for me right now. I need to take some time to publish my book and to to try to build something around that and, and to figure out what's next. And that's, you know, that's what gave me that base to be able to do that. I couldn't have done that if I hadn't just sucked it up and, you know, swallowed my pride and move the the big family into a tiny spot.
0: So what's your book about?
1: My book is about how I taught my kids the basics of the stock market by just talking about really simple little things as they were growing up. And the target audience, if you will, is moms, dads, teachers, high school students, anybody that looks at the stock market and says, it looks really complicated. I wonder what that's all about. Or maybe any, you know, those people that doesn't want to know about the stock market because they don't know what it's about, but feels like maybe they should. That's, that's who I'm going after. And so the, the book, it teaches the basic lessons you need to know to start to, to understand the stock market in a very fun Uh, story-driven manner. I basically walk you through how I taught my kids some of the things we did in the home from just challenging them to save to actually having little stock market contests where we each pick stocks and and just try to make a game of it. So done a few different things and most of them are, are simple. And a lot of it is just around the conversations that we had when we were waiting in line somewhere or watching TV. And a lot of those lessons put together, you, you find you, you know, people might know more than they realize when it comes to the stock market. And that's the goal of the book is just to take some of the mystery, take some of the, the complication out of it and show people that really it's not that complicated. If, if you look at it, it's not this one big, monstrous thing it's a collection of companies it's just a collection of a lot a lot of companies and some of them are good not all of them are good they all look like they're all moving together but if you you know over time you'll see some some move up and some don't and at the end of the day it's about finding good companies that you would want to own that's the first step of, of the stock market is finding the companies you think, hey, this is a great business, I wish I owned this. And then the harder part is once you decide I wanna own this company or I wanna, you know, invest in the market is not freaking out when you see all your money going away. You know, the best analogy I can make is, I don't know how people run into burning buildings. I don't know how people respond to accident scenes. I mean, the first responders, what those folks do, and you ask them how they do it, and they say, well, training. I'm trained to suppress my animal instincts to some level to where I don't have that fight or flight response where I just freak out. And it's nowhere nearly as stressful as what what those folks do, but it's the same chemistry you train yourself to think back to the reason you bought something. So if you buy a stock and it's going down, you, you have to want, first is recognizing that your animal instincts are kicking in. And okay, let's breathe. Let's, let's not make an emotional uh, decision. Let's not just respond. You have to use your thinking person's brain. And experience helps but it, it's a, it's a matter of going back to your your thought process and away from your emotional process as much as you can. And it's not easy and it, but it does get easier. And the way it gets easier is when you see how you're rewarded for going through that adversity, if you will, you know, to use your your theme. It's hardest the first several times you go through it. But over time, when you find out that, it doesn't always recover, but if you're picking good companies and you are you know, methodical about it, you don't just always buy something that's shot up you know, 100%, you, know, you, you, you put some thought to it and you, you buy things, you know, don't buy too much, you're gonna find a lot of your stuff recovers. That if you're buying good companies, and that's a big caveat, you gotta buy good companies that are growing their earnings, that patience is usually rewarded. And, and if you're buying the market as a whole, which that's really what you should do with most of your money is not try to guess which stock's gonna be the best one. I think that's okay to do with some of it, but really for most of your money, you should just start by buying the market as a whole, maybe buy an index bond or something, or an ETF. And especially the US market, it's going to recover if you give yourself time. And where I see folks get themselves in trouble is when they're investing the money they need for next month or the month after. Mm. And you're going to freak out if you need that money next month. Because you don't, I mean, you need that money next month. And so the way you help yourself, this is part of, I'd call it your training, is you You don't invest that money. You set aside your emergency reserves. You set aside the money you're going to need for the next, really the next, you know, several months to several years, depending on your life situation. You want to set that in cash. You don't want that jumping around. Mm -hmm. And then if you have that emergency fund set up, you won't be as impatient. You'll You'll let those fluctuations happen because it won't be devastating.
0: How do you know when to get rid of something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's just as hard as uh, as anything is knowing when to get rid of it. Um, The first thing I always go to is when the reason you bought it has changed. If the reason you bought it was because you were hoping it goes up, that's that's not a good reason to buy it. Everything you buy, you hope goes up. But if if you feel like the business has changed. If it's something that's gone up a lot, maybe you want to just, maybe you want to take some profits if you've made a certain amount. And so you, you kind of want to have those decisions made before you buy. You know, if this happens, I'll do this. But the, the, the first step thing I'd say is if, if the business changes, if suddenly you aren't as confident as you were, that, that things are going well, or maybe you feel like you bought something too expensive and made a mistake, then, then maybe you can. But you want to be very careful about that decision. You don't want to make, it, make a hasty decision about that and make sure that it's not an emotional response. So it depends on whether it went up or down. I mean, if it went down, you want to be really careful. But if you feel like, all right, I was wrong on this, you know, I bought, let me use an example. Maybe you bought Candy Crush, the, the maker of the, that, that game, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought that they were just going to have hit after hit after hit. And, Oh wow they really aren't well maybe you want to make maybe you want to bail out on something like that you want to make sure that the reason you bought it is no longer intact Um, if it's just the market pushing you around you have to be careful because most days the reason your stock is up or down is because the market is up or down okay well
0: I don't know if we fully explain this why did you leave your last
1: job yeah I Left the last job because I wanted to be able to publish the book and build this platform that I'm building called Teaching Kids to Buy Stocks and wanted to be able to focus on it full-time while I reconnected with my family a little bit. Had gotten disconnected from my wife and kids with, with my career and wanted to take some time to do both of those things. And... I was able to do it because I had, you know, 10 years previously, we had downsized so much and saved money then. And then as, as my career progressed, we tried to just save as diligently, diligently as we could. My goal was to try to retire early or retire young. And I might be delaying that a little bit by taking this time to, to do what I'm doing because we were living off of our savings to some extent and we're investing in this business. But it's worth it because it's helped me. It's helped my happiness. I mean, you, you, your whole your whole thing. It's helped me get back to where I was, real where we were, really when we were living in that tiny condo. It's just gotten our values back and back where they should be. And so, you know, why did I leave my job? Because I, one, because I could, and two, because I just wasn't happy there doing it anymore. And I wasn't going to be able to publish the book and have the job. They weren't going to, they weren't going to work together.
0: It sounds like what you've uh, let your happiness be affected by has changed
1: over the years. Yeah, if, if I'd say that the time when I, only time I felt myself losing that value of being connected to family was a little bit right before I quit the job at the beginning of the year. I felt like, really had my head on the straight and was, you know, understood what was most important when when the kids were young and when, when Jenny and I were first together, we really, that was always our priority. And when I was searching for what was next, that's when I started to become a little bit more materialistic. I'd say over, you know, the previous two years up until this one is when I started to see that creep into my mentality and I, and it, it bothered me and I think that was part of my discontentment was that I why am I why am I caring about stuff that I didn't used to care about and it was a gradual I'd say creep in from the time you know over the last five years and when I suddenly find myself more materialistic and less content I think part of what I was being called to was to to make myself uncomfortable again, to put myself into a situation where it wasn't, was gonna be a little bit harder. And this, this book is that trigger. It's been my, my trigger to move from, you know, you know, maybe one career to the next, but you know, I think that it was a product of that discontentment. The guest on your, your episode one, he had talked about music and how, how for artists that can be their therapy. And we're basically, a lot of times, seeing the product of your, of your therapy. I've heard writers say, you know, I had to write to to figure out what I what I thought, and I mean, that's probably a quote by somebody really famous that I'm butchering, but the um, you know, same thing, you know, you kind of have to you, you you have to get yourself to that that trigger point to to grow, and so to answer your question, you know, you did I, did I become? I, I think I came full circle, if anything, when it came to my values, where I started in a great place, and we were just, you know, we. We had a big family. We just weren't, you know, we're, you know, we're struggling. And then, recentered ourselves. We're able to kind of push forward. But then, as we started to drift apart, you start to drift towards things that aren't important. And um, just thankful that, you know, was able to recognize it and and make this break and move forward. And hopefully, it's been a positive outlet. Just like your musicians, you know, wow. you you create this beautiful thing, hopefully for other people to enjoy so they can, they can see that. Hopefully that's my goal in a less artistic way, a more nerd brain way of, of saying, you know, I hope that I can show you that it's not that complicated to give yourself a good financial, financial foundation. If anything, my target market are artists and, and you know, uh, music type people that maybe run away from finance related stuff because they, they, it's not in their wheelhouse. You know, it can be in your wheelhouse. It's not that complicated.
0: Nice. So you mentioned something about basically overcoming your materialism. If that's really hard to do, how did you
1: do that? I think that I was never terribly materialistic to begin with, probably helped. But I would say noticing it and feeling a pull that, oh, I want this, I want that. And this is silly, but there's a song that triggers it in my head all the time. I don't know if you've ever heard of the band Arcade Fire, but they have a they have a song. They have a whole theme around the the kind of the downfall of the materialism to you. They do it on more taking it more from a societal perspective. But I I saw some of the I would hear the things they were singing about, and I'd see that in myself and cringe. So I think. That, that, I don't know if it's kind of a random thing, but that song certainly did. Uh, their song, Everything Now, certainly uh, was playing in my head a lot as I was making that decision, as I was seeing that evolution in myself. One of the things I always try to tell folks is, I mean, I, I try to be a generous charitable person and I'm not telling other people they, they should, but if you want to be a generous charitable person, it's a lot easier to do that if you're not broke. It's, it's a lot easier to help others and to be able to react to, to what comes to you if someone need, needs help with something if you have your own financial house in order and you know if you've managed if, you, if you're managing your finances so that you're you know something can happen financially to you and it's not going to break you you have a savings account you put money aside and if you know if a, a family member or friend is in a tough spot and needs help i'm not I'm not suggesting you go around loaning money to family and friends or anything that's going to get you in trouble. But all I'm saying is you, you are in position to be able to lead to others if you've taken care of your own financial business. And, you know, it kind of goes back to, you know, where you spend your money. That's, you know, that's, will tell you about what's important to you. And if you want to be a good, You know giving charitable person it's a lot easier to do that if if you can afford to do so and there's a lot of people that um, do a lot of amazing things in the world and they don't want attention called to themselves but it's because they've been successful financially and have been in, in and they're trying to to give that back and it's much better to be that type of charitable person than someone that says, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you $5 that I can't afford to give you. You know, you're better off being patient, taking care of your, your, I'm not saying just be selfish, but take care of yourself so that maybe in five years you can give them $500 instead of just $5 today. And yeah, that's all I, I mean by that is not, I, I don't consider myself a materialistic person and I, I don't consider myself a greedy person. And a lot of times when you're dealing with investment people for, for sure, but just in general, when, when people say, oh, he talks about the stock market, he talks about money. Oh, he must be a greedy person. No, 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 no. I, I, I think that we can do more for poverty by teaching financial literacy than we can by just giving money away. And that's, I mean, that's part of my goal is I think that we can do a lot to help poverty by teaching people to think about how they spend their money and, and, you know, your you know you're, your heart follows you, you'll see where your heart is when you see where your money is. When you see what you spend your money on.
0: How can we find a more idea? You?
1: you can find me if there's a social media, I probably have an account on it. We have the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, I think that's YouTube. We've got them all. <laughs> And then you can also email us at jj at teachingkidstobuystocks.com. And that's our website as well, teachingkids teachingkidstobuystocks.com. Oh, okay. Or come to San Clemente and look in the water outside the pier, and I might be floating around out there.
0: Thank you for joining us on the show today, JJ. And thank you for listening to the finale of The Happiness Question Season 2. We'll start up again with season three on September 21st, 2020, where we'll start airing 11 episode seasons. These episodes will be episodes recorded this year, not last year, and with tips in order to help in everyday situations, especially during the crisis that is right now. So I hope you catch up on those episodes you've missed and get ready. Because season three of The Happiest Question will be the best season yet. Have a wonderful summer. Bye.